let's go back to basics. If you just purchased your first DSLR, or if you have a camera that you just don't understand, today we'll have an important first lesson. We'll talk about which shooting mode you should choose and when. Your DSLR is demystified today. Hi there, Canon friends. Welcome to the EOS Photographer Podcast. If you are learning photography using your Canon gear, you're in the right place. Here, we speak with great photographers and extract practical lessons for you. From Rebels to 5Ds, the gear you own is the gear we'll feature. Now, here's your host, Linford Morton. Welcome to the EOS Photographer Podcast, episode 114. Hi, this is Lynn, and today we go back to basics. I've been hearing from a number of you that you're struggling learning your DSLRs, that you struggle when you're shooting in manual mode, that you aren't sure what all the buttons on your camera will do, that you need to be more comfortable learning how to use your camera. Well, I have a couple resources for you. Today, I'm going to walk you through the basics of exposure, all of the options in your creative modes, and how you choose the correct shooting mode. By the end of this podcast, you should have a process to start taking control of your camera. Now, this training is actually a peek into a class that I'm creating for you. This is part of the information we will cover, but your class will have all the visuals and illustrations. It'll have opportunities to practice and a platform for you to get feedback. It will be specific to Canon cameras and personalized by me. You'll have all the resources to take control of your camera and the support to help ensure your success. The site is available right now at learnyourcanondslr.com and I'll tell you how you can pre-register for the largest savings possible at the end of the podcast. So stay tuned. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash EOS photographer. Audible provides more than 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I have been listening to Audible for my books and my professional development for years now. I told you last week that I counted up more than 100 books in my Audible library, and it's helped me educate and better myself on a wide variety of topics. I think you'll enjoy it too. Claim your free audiobook download with a 30-day trial to check out their service. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash EOS photographer. That's audibletrial.com forward slash EOS photographer. We're going back to basics and talking about how we get off of auto, take control of our DSLR, and shoot with confidence. If you recall last week, we talked about the first two phases 
of the creative process. This is when you identify what you see and then think about what you can create. This is a process that helps you identify your subject and then generate ideas about what you can implement with that subject. So going through those two phases, next you turn to your camera to try and bring your vision to life. And that's where we begin today. Okay, so let's start with the basics of exposure, because to take any photograph, you need to use light. Photography is often called painting with light, and so you always need light to create an image. And not just light, but you need the correct quantity of light. The correct quantity of light in any photograph is different, and your camera will let that quantity of light in using three levers how wide the shutter opens when it opens and closes, how fast it opens when it opens and closes, and then the overall sensitivity to light of your film and your sensor. So these three things work together, and they are all interdependent, meaning when you have the correct amount of light using these three levers, you can change the the overall distribution among all three so that they all equal the same amount of light. For instance, if I have a, a bucket that takes a gallon of water and I have a gallon, you know, in a, in a gallon milk bottle, for instance, and now I'm going to pour it into this bucket. Now, I have a funnel that I'm going to pour it through to get into that bucket. So if this funnel has a small opening, I can pour that gallon of water through that funnel. And because there's a small opening, it will take a long time for the entire gallon to go through that small opening and fill the bucket. Now, of course, if I have a funnel with a wide opening, it will go through faster and fill the bucket. Well, this is how your exposure works with light and your camera. You can let in a lot of light quickly to get to the correct amount or a small amount of light over a longer period of time to get to the right amount. So this is your opening. You pour a gallon in through a wide opening. It goes through quickly. You pour a gallon in through a small opening. It takes a long time. It's still the same gallon. Okay. Now, why do you care? Because when you change whether or not you go through a wide opening fast or a small opening slowly, it changes the photograph creatively. So how wide the shutter opens is called your aperture. And how fast it opens and closes is called your shutter speed. And you can adjust these, um, you can adjust the relationship between these, meaning which one do you want to feature? How wide it opens or do you want to feature how fast it opens? Because when you do, anytime you make an adjustment, you will get a very different picture. And that's the fun of photography. Manipulating how you adjust the aperture, shutter speed, and ISO to get very different pictures in very different situations. I like to think of it as decisions and consequences, just like our parents taught us. Once you know how much light you need, you then get to decide how you let the light in because that will give you very 
different pictures creatively. So you can now, it's interestingly enough, with your camera, scroll through different options of these three. And you can see the options change if you go, for instance, from F8 at 130th of a second, ISO 200, right? So I'm throwing out numbers now. We haven't even talked about what these mean. But if you change and you scroll and you see them change dramatically, if one changes, the other has to, you know, has to adjust. So remember we said we pour in our gallon through a small opening. It makes it a long, uh, a longer time for it to go through. And if you use a large opening, there's a shorter time. So you can't have a large opening and pour the gallon of water in and have it take a long time. It just won't work. You know that the water's going to go through quickly. There's nothing to constrain it. And likewise, if you have a small opening, the water's not going to go through quickly. It's going to have to take a long time because it can only move through the small opening because it, that constraint is physics. So the same thing happens with your camera and light. So let's talk about all three of these levers one by one. So number one, how wide the shutter opens is used to create depth of field. Now, depth of field is known as how much area in front of and behind your subject will be in focus. So you've all seen this before. You can have a, a photograph of a landscape, for instance, where from one end to the other, everything is sharp. I'm standing on the edge of of the Grand Canyon and it stretches for miles and miles and what feels like an eternity. And with the right setting, I can see that entire thing sharply in focus. And the opposite end of the spectrum with a, a different setting, I can have it so shallow that if I'm taking a photograph of of a port of a person or a portrait, the tip of their eye can be in focus and the tip of the nose will not. It can be that shallow. So you now, photographer, get to, get to decide how much of the area you want in focus. And the tool you will use to do that is called your aperture. Okay, so you use your aperture and that's how wide the shutter opens and closes. And it's measured by this thing called an f-stop. And you will see it on your lens and you'll see it in, in photograph descriptions in f with a slash and then a number that follows. And the numbers usually look random. You will see two, 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 eight, four, five, six, you know, six, three, seven, eight, eleven, thirteen, sixteen. Those, those numbers are not random, but here's what you really need to know about them. The smaller the number, the shallower the depth of field you can create. And the larger the number, the larger the area you can have in focus. Okay, so, so what does that mean? That means that if you have a wide open aperture, you can create a picture of someone and have the background blurry. Everyone loves this effect, right? Because it allows us to separate the subject from the background. So you can focus in on your subject and then you don't need to see anything in the background that can be distracting because it's all going to be blurry. And to do that, you're going to choose 
one of the the lower numbers. When I say lower numbers or small numbers, I mean, I try to say lower because smaller than this confuses us with size. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So the lower numbers for 2.8 or with some lenses, 6.3, 5, 6, the lower that number goes, the shallower the depth of field you can create. Okay, so when you see a camera that can can go to 1.8, like some of the 50 millimeter, um, like some of the 50 millimeter um, can, lenses can, they can open all the way up to 1.8. This is very wide. Now, these numbers, as they progress, as you go wider, you get twice as amount of light for each what we call a stop. Every threshold is a stop and at with that stop you can either get going up twice as much light or going back the other way half as much light and so you will see it go from 1.4 to 2 to 2.8 to 4 to 5.6 to 8 to 11 to 16. these are all full stops now your camera might even have even smaller increments in between like and and, and break it to even third of a third of stops but just generally speaking, let's just go 1.42, These are each stops. I'll have a, a graph of this on the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. So when you go from 2 to 2.8, now you are getting half as much light that can come in. And so if you want to keep the same quantity of light, you'll just have to open you know, twice as long. Does that make sense? Okay. So 2.8 to 4 now gives you a smaller opening, half as much light. 4 to 5.6, another stop means another, you know, half of light. And then if you go back the other way, 5.6 to 4, it opens up now and lets in twice as much light. From 4 to 2.8, that lets in twice as much light. So as you go down... It lets in twice as much light for each stop. And as you go the other way, it cuts it in half for each stop. So this is what your aperture will do for you. It will allow you to determine how much light you want to let in by how wide the the shutter will open and close. Now, if you're trying to blur your, your background, you typically want one of the lower numbers. Now, how low, you say, what's the magic number? Well, like everything else, it depends. Because there are some other things that will affect the blurry background, how close you are to your subject. And then, you know, what focal length of lens you're using. But generally speaking, if you're trying to make the background blurry, then you'll start with a a smaller number. And and, and I, I give you the other two things that will affect it because I don't want you to stand, you know, a mile away from a subject and open to F2 and wonder why the background is not blurry. So it's your distance to your subject and the distance from your subject in behind. So you're going to have to have more room behind your subject to allow some room to be able to blur the background. But generally speaking, you're going to choose one of the smaller numbers. Now, when you choose one of the smaller numbers, the opening gets bigger. So think about this as opposite day. It, it, it works in reverse. 
the, the as you go down smaller numbers, you get wider openings. I know it's crazy. I don't know why they do that, but they do. So you just have to, you know, wrap your head around this. When you say F16, that's a very small opening. And when you say F2, it is wide open. Now, again, we're using this to control depth of field and how much of the area in front of and behind your subject you will have in focus. And so here's a rule of thumb and and easy way to remember this, okay? The rule of thumb is, let's imagine you were to line up the same person, sort of like a, in a long line, like if you're waiting in a long line to go, you know, into the cupcake place before and after, and it's not open yet. <laughs> random, really random. But anyway, because I remember seeing those, sometimes those fancy cupcake places would have long lines and you wonder, wow, a cupcake, you're going to stand in line for an hour, but I digress. So you have this long line of people. You're standing at the top of the line, and now you're going to take a photograph. The rule of thumb is at F2, two people will be in focus, and at F22, 22 people will be in focus. So this gives you an idea of which end of the dial to go to to, con and to control the depth of field and how much you can you know, get in depending on which way you go. Now, this is not literal, so it's not F2, two people are in focus, but it lets you know that if you want to have a shallow depth of field at F2, two people, two people will be in focus. And if you want a long depth of field at F22, 22 people will be in focus. Now, I've got some really great examples of this in, in the class I finished creating. So if you wanted to see more visuals, I really sort of work walk through how the the photograph changes with each stop of of an adjustment all right so that's your aperture and your aperture again lets in the light by determining how wide the shutter opens when it opens and closes now remember when we poured water through that that funnel there was another uh, variable there and this is how fast the water got to go through and how fast the shutter opens and closes is the second lever we adjust. And how fast the shutter opens and closes will allow us to create motion or movement or the perception of motion or movement in our photograph. So think about this. The shutter opens and closes. You, take, you, you depress the shutter and you hear, and you hear the shutter open and close. You will hear this. And that lets you know that the shutter is opening and closing. Now, how fast the shutter opens and closes will create the perception of motion or movement. This is just a normal shutter. And, and what happens is the shutter opens and closes. And while the shutter is open, depending on how fast it's open, it opens and closes or how slow it opens and closes, Anything that can move while the shutter is open will show up as a blur or a streak. So if you want to make something frozen, right, you have to use a fast shutter speed. And, and a sh fast shutter speed is generally, you know, when you're looking at one over 500th of a second. This is, this is the math. This is now just time. So you, you can... Take your camera up to one over 500 or one 500th of a second. 
and that is a fast shutter opening and closing. And uh, and when it does that, it opens and closes so quickly, barely anything can move fast enough to create that blur, and that's how you get a sharp image. This is used for sports photography, and this is you know great if you want to freeze the action. You know, someone is is now you know, diving for a pass, a football, in a football game, and you want to freeze the action right as the ball is at their fingertips, then you want to go with a faster shutter speed, probably even faster than 1 500th. You might go with 1 over 1,000 or 1 over 2,000 and get a fast shutter speed. Now, the opposite, knowing that when anything moves, you can create motion or movement, you can use that deliberately now to create that um, that perception of motion or movement. That same football f- is being thrown to someone, and with a slower shutter speed, you now have a blur of the football, and it communicates that it's moving to your viewer. So you can now choose how you want to communicate, whether you want to freeze the action or show motion or movement. You know, a a good way to think about this is if you've ever seen a photograph of the long red streaks of cars at night, like if you've seen someone who went where the traffic is and they've taken pictures of you, all you see, and all these cars are going by and all you see is this long red ribbon. So that is a good example of what happens with shutter speed. The shutter is open for a long period of time there, four or five seconds, sometimes even more. And the distance that car travels is the long line you see of that taillight. So the taillight, which is just one spot, if the shutter's open for three seconds, the distance that taillight travels while the shutter's open creates that long red ribbon. And so you can use this with just about anything. Water is a good subject for motion or movement. And I'll have all these examples in the class, but you take a picture of a waterfall or any moving water and you have a fast shutter speed and you can freeze the water. But if you use a slower shutter speed, and now I'm talking anything slower than 1 of a second, 1 15th of a second, or even down slower to where you start to see inch marks, and that means you have a full second. So knowing that, now you can make the adjustment with your shutter so that you can either decide that you want to do a fast shutter speed and freeze the action or slow shutters. You will hear that shutter go click, click very slowly, and you'll know that you're taking uh, a picture with a slow shutter speed because you'll hear it open and close. This is how you get to create the perception of movement. With a slow shutter speed, you can show something that is blurry, and with a fast shutter speed, you can freeze the action. Now, something else you need to know. Whenever you depress the shutter, you also move the camera, and it moves very slightly, and, and, and you probably don't realize you're doing it, but pushing down on the camera m- moves the camera. And so when, the, when I say the camera shows motion or movement, it shows the motion or movement that you create when you move the camera. So moving the camera will move it up and down, and that too will affect you know, what's happening. The camera is still seeing something moving. And so now it's creating this blurry 
picture. We call that camera shake. And so the way to avoid camera shake is to choose a shutter speed that is fast enough that that movement that happens when you depress the shutter doesn't show up. Okay. So how do you do that? Well, the easiest way to make sure you don't move the camera is to use a tripod and don't touch the camera when you're taking the photograph. So you will use your, your cable release or remote control. And with that, you can then depress the shutter without touching the camera. And the other thing you can do is go to the drive mode. Now, if you hit your, your quick access, on your back of your camera, you will see um, what looks like a, a box, just an empty box, or depending on what you've chosen, it can look like a deck of cards with an H next to it, or it can just look like a deck of cards, or you can see a timer button with a 10 or a two. You get all of those options, but these are some of the, the basic options on, on most of your DSLRs when you depress the drive mode setting. And with that, what you can do is choose that option that has the, the timer with the two or the 10 next to it. And what happens is you depress the shutter and depending on the, the interval you've chosen, it will wait either two seconds or 10 seconds before it takes the photograph. So you depress the shutter and it counts one, two, then it takes the picture. And great news, you're not touching the camera at that time, so it doesn't create camera shake. Or if you, you're depressing the shutter and you have a, a, a really cheap tripod or a weak tripod, or you have the center, um, the center column extended, you might want to go with the 10 second delays to give the camera plenty of time to get stable and then take the photograph. Now, let's say you're going handheld and you are you're taking the photograph and you don't want to have camera shake. A good rule of thumb is that the slowest shutter speed you want to use will be that equal to your focal length. So it's one over your focal length is the sh slowest shutter speed you should use. So what, what, does, what does that mean? If I am shooting with a 50 millimeter lens, I want to shoot one over 50th of a second or faster to avoid camera shake. And if I'm shooting with a 200 millimeter lens, I want to shoot one over 200th of a second or faster to avoid camera shake. So think about that. The longer the lens in terms of focal length, the faster the shutter speed you need to use to avoid camera shake. All right. So, and then when you, and when you drop below that, then you become in danger of getting camera shake. Now it's not, it's, it's not a, a done deal. If you go below that, you will get camera shake. It's just a greater, a greater uh, likelihood that you will. And, and you can go over it, quite honestly, and still get camera shake. I drink a lot of coffee, so I have to, you know, cheat my shutter speed faster than most people to make sure that I don't get camera shake. So you've got to, you know, know how steady your hand is. I remember one time I was teaching this lesson and the person in my class told me that he was a Navy SEAL sharpshooter. I'm guessing that he could go much lower and not have camera shake. So it all depends. So that's your shutter speed. How fast the shutter opens and closes allows you to create the perception of motion or movement. 
and it can inadvertently create the perception of movement if you're holding the camera and the shutter speed is too slow. Now, the final of the three levers is the ISO, which is how you measure sensitivity to light. Like, how much light do you need to have available to get the same combination of these two, right? Because depending on the, the ISO you set, you might not need as much light. So let me explain what that means. First, what does ISO mean? People always ask that. That's the standard of measurement, an international standard of measurement. So it doesn't really mean anything. It's not an acronym, but it lets you know how much light you need. So at 100 or 200, which is going to be the low end of the spectrum for most of your cameras, 100 or 200 ISO, the camera requires a lot of light to get a fast shutter speed. So at 100 or 200, and if you are outside in the middle of the day, great, no problem. You can get one five hundredth of a second. Now, let's say you are shooting and the sun is setting and you are still shooting at one over five hundredth of a second. It's great when there's plenty of light if you're shooting at ISO 100. But if you stay at ISO 100 and the light quantity decreases, then you start to have a problem because the camera still needs a lot of light. And so what will it do to get a lot of light if it's an automatic? Well, there are only three ways to get light in there. So if it needs light and it's not getting it, it opens as wide as it can. And if it still doesn't get enough light, it opens longer. So now it's staying open longer because it's got to get the light in to make this picture work. And that's the only other way to do it. So it stays open longer to let more light in. And what happens when it stays open too long and the camera's in your hand? Yep, camera shake. And so what happens then is you notice this because you're paying attention and you say, whoa, let me raise my ISO. Now, when you raise your ISO, the camera won't need as much light. And so you can find that you can shoot with the same shutter speed again with less light. Okay. So what do you do? Well, you're, going, you're going out and you're shooting and you can't get... Um, the, the shutter speed you want with the light you are in, you double the ISO because when you double the ISO, you double the amount of light. 100 to 200, 200 to 400, 400 to 800, you double the amount of light that the camera, um, or the other way, half the amount of light that the camera needs in that situation. So a good way to see this at work is to Put your camera in AV mode, and I'll tell you what all the modes mean in a second, but put your camera in AV mode, and when you depress the shutter in AV mode, the camera will choose the shutter speed for you, right? Great. So, you know, choose any F8. This is just a random number, just so that we're all in the same number. So you choose F8, and you depress the shutter slightly, and now put the camera to ISO 100, and you will see the camera will tell you, based on the shutter speed, how long it now needs to stay open to get the correct amount of light. So, all right, great. Now, take the ISO and take it to 400, and don't touch anything else. Leave your 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 
AV set to, with your f-stop set to f8 and now look and see how the shutter speed adjusts on its own because it will now say it doesn't need as much light so the shutter speed now it now requires should be faster. So now scroll your ISO up to let's say 2000 and do the same thing again depress the shutter slightly and look to see how the shutter speed reacts and you'll see that it now even gets faster. So this is what happens as you go up with your ISO, you you will need less light and so you can use the high ISO, you guessed it, to shoot in lower light. So if you want to shoot in low light and you don't want to use your tripod, the way to do it is to raise your ISO. Now, most of your cameras will now have an auto ISO, so you can set this to raise automatically for you with without having to worry about it. Because what happens is if you set your ISO to 200 and you're shooting outside and then you go inside the coffee shop and you go, oh, I want to take a picture of my my latte and you start to shoot, the light has changed. And if you don't change your ISO, you'll get camera shake. Now, you can, for expediency, let the camera automatically adjust the ISO for you so that you can get enough light. And that's an easy way to do it. But you want to, in many cases, watch this yourself because the higher it goes, there is a trade-off. The higher your ISO goes, there is a trade-off. And in your digital camera, you see more of what's called noise. And and this is the, the little digital specs you'll see in the the black and dark parts of your image that are, it, it's just it just looks like the image is falling apart. And the higher you go, the more of that you will see. That noise when we shot film, we would call it grain. But but it's a trade off you'll have to accept as you go higher and higher with your ISO. Now it's a trade-off you want to accept because the alternative will be camera shake and camera shake you cannot fix. There's nothing you can do about an image that has camera shake in it. But if there's noise in it, you can run noise reduction um, um, software and it's, it's built into Lightroom and Photoshop as well. So you can clean it up. And, but you can clean it up, but you can't do anything about camera shake. So always raise the ISO if you need to, to get the shot. So those are the three levers you need to be able to manipulate. All right, so now let's talk about the the modes on your camera, all right? So we're going to now translate all this to, into your camera, and we'll talk about how you determine which mode to choose. Now, if you're on auto mode, that's the green zone. That's that the, the green A with the box around it. That's your auto mode. In that mode, the camera does all the thinking for you. It will choose your ISO. It will choose your aperture. It will choose your shutter speed. And in most cases, it will make sure you have the correct amount of light. I say in most cases because it's a computer. It doesn't always know. But in most cases, it will get it right for you. And so you can just put in in automatic and walk around and get, you know, well exposed images for most situations without having to worry your head at all. And you might ask, well, why wouldn't I do that? Remember, we said when we make the adjustments, 
you now are creating with your with your camera when you choose a a, a lower numbered f-stop or for, with a wide opening you're creating a shallow depth of field when you choose a faster shutter speed you're stopping the action and freezing the action you get to now to choose and to create but in automatic mode the camera is not going to create for you its only objective is enough light just give me enough light the camera's only objective is enough light. Just give me the correct quantity of light. I don't care about anything fancy or creative the camera is saying to you. And so it will choose middle of the road for you. 250 F8, the stuff that is enough light but doesn't do anything creatively because the real creative effects are usually at either end of the spectrum on both the aperture and the the shutter speed, like the, the extreme and fast and the extreme and slow, the extreme wide open, the extreme with, with close. That's where you get the real creative effects. But the camera is not going to choose either of those. It's going to be middle of the road. So now the thing about automatic is once the camera is decided for you, you have no input. The camera does not care what you think. The camera does not want to hear from you. The camera had gives you two options. Take the picture or don't take the picture. But that's it. So now you think, oh, I, I want a little more control than that. And you scroll over one to P and P stands for program mode. Now program mode works similar to automatic in that the camera will choose for you your aperture and your shutter speed. You know, you can, you know, choose your ISO, but it will choose the aperture and shutter speed for you and it will choose middle of the road because the camera again is not designed to be creative. That's what you are there for. And so it will choose middle of the road, give you enough light, but in program mode, you can adjust the relationship. Remember I said you can, you can adjust your shutter speed, but then you just, you must, you know, have the aperture move, uh, in, in, in tandem so that you can keep the same quantity of light. So you can just scroll that main dial and that's the, 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 the dial that you can rotate right in, in the right where your your, your finger will be next to the shutter in most cameras. So you can scroll that and it will go through the range of options of, of, of shutter speed and aperture combinations for you, which is really cool because you just, if you wanted to go with a faster shutter speed than the camera was assigning to you, you just scroll that until you see the two move and you bring the shutter speed up to a fast uh, op faster option. So that's one way to do it. You can make it move, but when you, as you continue shooting, the next time you go to shoot, you're gonna have to do it again because once the camera resets, it will then go back to choosing middle of the road. And so if you're shooting the same thing over and over again, for instance, you're in a portrait shoot and you scroll to get a, a, a lower number so you can have a, a wider opening and a shallower depth of field, you can do that and you and you scroll and you get that and you take the picture and then you say okay move this way and you you reset the your your subject and then you go to take the picture again and you'll see it will it will have lost that setting so that gets really old quickly so now you can scroll over one more and do what's called priority modes and in the priority modes you tell your camera this option is my priority when i set this don't you dare touch it again until I tell you to. 
So you'll see TV next, which stands for time value. That allows you to decide what shutter speed you want and lock it in. So you are, you know, walking down the street and you see these kids jumping rope. They're doing double dutch and they're just going at it and having a good old time. And you happen to have your camera naturally and you say, oh, I want to get a picture of that. So what do you do? You go to TV and you say, okay, I want to freeze the action. And you go up to like, say, one over one thousandth of a second. You've locked that in. The camera now knows every picture you take that's the shutter speed you want to use. Don't touch it. And so when it needs more light or less light, it will adjust the aperture for you. It will open wider or smaller as it needs to, to get the correct amount of light, but it locks in shutter speed as your priority. Now you're shooting away and you're freezing the action and you think, I really want to show that they're moving. And so now you can scroll down and choose a, a lower number, right? We're going to go down, let's say one over 30th of a second. And now we want to show a blur. So now when you take a picture that the rope that they're spinning will be a slight blur and you think, ah, oh, that's really cool. Now it looks like they're moving. So you get to do all that. And then the camera won't touch the shutter speed again because you've told it that is your priority. So that's TV shutter priority. So now you're walking down the street and you, you're walking through the park and you see this beautiful scene in front of you. There's a lake with a waterfall and rows of trees. And you think, oh my goodness, how peaceful and serene. I want a picture of this. So you go to AV for aperture value. And in aperture value, you can now change how wide the shutter opens and lock it in as your priority. So now you're looking at this landscape and you choose a larger number F16. And with, with that choice, now the entire scene is going to be sharply in focus, which is what you want. All right, great, great landscape shot. Now, as you're standing there, you're thinking, oh, this is this is also a cool place for a portrait. And so you tell your friend who's with you, hey, stand right here in front of in front of the scene. Now I want to take a portrait of you. And so what do you do? Since you're still in AV, you scroll until you get one of the the smaller numbers, the lower numbers, right? F 2.8. And then the camera locks it in and says, you know, this is what you want to do. So now you can, you know, get in, fill the frame with their face and take a picture and blur the background out. And so now there's just nice swirls of greens and browns and all kinds of, of earth tones behind your subject. Oh, yeah, this makes them really pop and looks like a really professional portrait. And that's because you have chosen to have a shallow depth of field. So, but you've done that and now the camera locks that in, that 2.8. And so you can move around them and shoot from different angles and do whatever you want and know that they will all have that shallow depth of field because you've told the camera, this is my priority. All right, so that's, that's AV for aperture value. Now, the next one you see is M and you know M it stands for manual. And this is when you're on your own. Because in all of the other modes we talked about, the camera will, if you make an adjustment, the camera will adjust something else on its own to make sure you have the correct amount of light. But in manual, the camera says you're on your own and do what you want to. So now when you adjust your shutter speed, you better go and adjust the aperture 
as well to to compensate for because the camera won't do it. So what will happen is when you adjust one and you move a stop of light, it will give you more light as you would or less light, depending on which way you're going. You can now make this adjustment and increase light or decrease the quantity of light. You will see in most of your viewfinders uh, a, uh, a grid with a zero, plus one, plus two on the right, minus one, minus two on the left, and that lets you know where that neutral point is where the camera would normally have brought it to. So you can make adjustments to bring it there if you'd like to, but in most cases in shooting in manual mode, you will make the adjustment yourself for the effect you're looking for. Now, why would you choose to shoot in manual mode? Because that gives you consistency in a way that you can't have when the camera is measuring and adjusting. So let's say I'm back at that scene where I am under, you know, the tree looking out at the scene and I'm taking a picture of my friend and I'm moving around. So as I move around, every time I depress the shutter, shutter, the camera recalculates for the correct amount of light. And, and, and when I move, even though I'm looking at the same scene across the entire frame, the quantity of light across the entire frame might have changed. And so the camera will make an, an adjustment. So it's possible for you to, you know, make a, let's say a 180 degree arc around your subject, taking pictures and get light, dark, light, dark, light, dark, light, dark, even though the light on them hasn't changed because the light in the overall frame has changed. So manual is good because if you know the light on your subject is not going to change, you can go in and measure for exactly what you want. You'll, you'll, you know, keep shooting until you get the exact expression you want. And now you can move around and you should keep the same, relatively the same, um, 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 effect, right? Now, none of this stuff is, you know, is, is, is absolute. So keep that in mind. So in most cases, this is what will happen, right? So now all this stuff and you're saying, I don't know, you've just confused me. And if I have to take a picture, I've got too much stuff to think about and I'll never be able to take a, a photograph. Well, here is an easy way to do it. So now we will go through a decision tree, which will let you know in a second, which shooting mode you should be using. You start with the question, is my subject moving? Is my subject moving? Because you've already determined what your subject is, right? Because that's what you're focusing on. So if the answer is yes, then you choose TV for shutter priority. Why? Because that's the option that creates motion or movement. So is my subject moving? Oh, look, it's a stream. Yes. Or it's a soccer game, yes. And then you can go with a fast shutter speed to stop the action or a slow shutter speed to show motion or movement. Is my subject moving? If the answer is no, then shutter speed is not something you will care about in most cases. You are going to wanna to focus on the aperture. If my subject is not moving, I'm going to go with my aperture priority or AV. And then I can determine how much of the area in front of and behind my subject I want in focus. F22, long depth of field, 22 people in focus. F2, shallow depth of field, two people in focus.
right? So you can do that. And then you can do the same thing in manual mode. You will, you will decide in manual mode, which of the two you want to feature, whether the shutter speed to show action or the, the, the F stop to show depth of field. Now, what you don't want to do is go in manual mode and then choose F8 at 250th of a second, because you've just give you, given yourself a really complicated, you know, automatic mode, because th that's what the camera will choose for you. The point of going in manual mode or, or any of these other priority modes is to choose something where you can create. So think about it and make sure you create. All right. So you can go out and practice this, practice stopping action, showing emotional movement, and you can practice with your depth of field. And you can adjust your ISO to see how all of these change, all right? Again, these aren't absolutes, but you can, at a second, determine what shooting mode to use, just by asking, is my subject moving? This is a good bit of, you know, how you get started with your camera. And, you know, I hope this was helpful for you. Again, if you want to see what this looks like in action and see um, examples of this as I explain it, you go to learnmycanondslr.com and uh, there you enroll in the class and you'll be able to walk through it with me and then practice on your own and share the images with me as you work your way through it. Thank you so much for hanging out with me for another episode. I hope you found something helpful and interesting today. Now, remember, I go over this topic and expand on it with lots of visuals in my first class, LearnYourCanonDSLR.com. Now, despite the title, you're actually learning photography. You learn how to use your camera in all the common situations and how you will create your best images. The class launches officially in July 19, but this week you will have your largest savings for those who want to pre-purchase. You can save $40 through midnight Friday. After that, you can save $20 until the Friday the class launches. At that point, it goes to the regular price. So for the largest savings, try and get in before Friday at midnight. If you're struggling to learn your DSLR and take the kinds of photos you envision, this is a sure way to get you there. Go to learnyourcanondslr.com. That's it for today's episode. Thank you again for joining me. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review it on iTunes and subscribe at eosphotographer.com forward slash subscribe. Also, if you're struggling with any issue that you'd like me to cover, drop me a line and let me know. You can do it online at eosphotographer.com forward slash challenge. Now, follow me on social media at Learn Your Canon everywhere. Tag me in your photos. I'd love to see what you're working on. Now, next week, we'll have an inspiring conversation with Canon Explorer of Light, Rick Salmon. This is going to be so much fun. Until then, let's go out and create something amazing. Take care.